And now Cook can just dribble it out. And J.R. Smith already shirtless. <laughs> Final seconds here in this NBA season. The respect from those two. And that's it. It's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. The Sideliners, the Sideliners, the Sideliners. Watch the Sideliners on WIRE TV at 10.30. Here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really worry like yeah. Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really worry like I'm Anthony Beers and welcome to another rendition of the Sideliners pod. I had a lot I want to cover today. I've been way i've been traveling but there has been so much going on in the sports world i just felt like i had to get out there and do a solo pod for you all um first things foremost the la lakers are nba champions for the 17th time in their franchise history lebron james is a fourth time nba finals mvp and a four-time nba champion now obviously uh the lakers deserve respect and props for winning the championship in the heat also deserve respect and props for really being outmatched against the Lakers physically in size. The Lakers dominated the boards in almost every game. The two games uh, that the Heat won were superhuman efforts from Jimmy Butler, and they managed to take the rebounding gap and minimize the damage. But between the, the bigs of, of Howard and Davis and, and you know LeBron James as well, and even the rebounding guards that you got from uh, Rajon Rondo and, and, and Caruso and, and so many different names on this stacked Lakers roster. Uh, it was honestly an impressive, impressive thing to do for the Heat to bring this series to six games. Um, but now here we are. LeBron James has won and everybody wants to just worship the king. Uh, he even went on record saying he demanded a little more respect after the game. Uh, I guess he feels like he's highly criticized, but, you know, listen, this this comes with the territory. If you crave being the best and you, and you absolutely do everything in your power to be perceived as one of the best and most successful basketball players in the history of the sport, if you choose to be the face of a generation, you may say, hey, you didn't choose that. Well, you know, he didn't choose his talent. He has a gift from God, but he absolutely embraces the opportunity to be perceived as the best and to be compared to other generational talents obviously the big one being michael jordan that being said pretty much anybody that watches basketball knows lebron james is the greatest player of all time or the greatest player of this era to be more specific he is one of the greatest players of all time some people say he has to be number two behind michael jordan some people say you could even put him at number one I don't enjoy doing that. I don't enjoy comparing eras. I think it's impossible. I think you have to experience the era for yourself to understand the greatest players uh, in that time frame. Uh, even Richard Sherman of the San Francisco 49ers, he tweeted out saying uh, it should be GOAT, G-O-T-E, the greatest of their era, because you really can't compare how the game evolves. 
You just can't. The game completely changes, and that's true in basketball, it's true in football, it's true in baseball, hockey, anything. So LeBron James is the best player in basketball right now. Anybody who watches that knows that. So to act like he doesn't get respect seems kind of dramatic. In terms of basketball, in terms of basketball, I think that's kind of dramatic. Uh, he, The Lakers got a majority of the calls in this series. That's always how it goes. The favorite team in the NBA gets more of the close calls than not. So you factor in the fact that the Heat were just an eight-man rotation, much smaller uh, in comparison to the Lakers, looking to spread the floor, uh, run through Jimmy Butler, perimeter shooting, you know, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. These guys were, were great in transition. They, they, they showed a lot of heart, but they clearly were no match for the pure physicality and size of the Los Angeles Lakers. And, it, Los Angeles Lakers. and again, it's, it's a roster conjured by LeBron James. You, you have to consider that, it's diff that if you're going to compare differences in eras, that's a big difference right there, the amount of say, the amount of uh, input LeBron James is able to have on a roster. The fact that he's on been on three different franchises and he's been on he's left and returned to the Cavs twice. In fact, this is his fourth time changing teams. Is pretty wild to me. Uh, it that that is a great example of how different this era is uh, than how previous greats played. I saw the highlights of LeBron James's career on the NBA Instagram and listen, he's he's an unbelievable talent to watch, but. I, I can't help but notice when I listen to those Cavaliers fans, it was more special when he was there. That's that's my sports fans' perspective. That's my NBA fans' perspective. Doesn't mean he wasn't great on Miami. Doesn't mean he wasn't great on LA. Uh, what it meant to those fans, uh, to me, just hearing. Obviously, I didn't really hear the Lakers fan in the finals. Can't really can't really argue that against them, but historically, the Lakers fans are kind of like Yankee fans. You know, if you don't win a title. It's kind of a wasted effort for him to win in Cleveland, for him to win that finals. It was everything to the Cavalier fans, and he got extremely lucky that Draymond Green got suspended for that elbow uh, when LeBron was stepping over him. So let's face it, LeBron James gets a ton of respect for his game. Anybody that's critical of him is it's just because he's under the spotlight constantly. Maybe it's because he's complaining about a call. Maybe it's because he gets away with a lot of traveling. Maybe it's because he gets to create these super teams. He started it with the Heat. He kind of set the tone for the NBA super teams. Or maybe it's because he's chosen to speak openly politically. And now that really is the root of what I wanted to talk about with the NBA. LeBron James has been more open about his feelings towards Black Lives Matter and his feelings towards uh, politics in the United States and his disdain of President Trump. He's made that extremely clear. The NBA, during this coronavirus outbreak, embraced it. Uh, they let the players put anything they want in their jerseys. It was clearly written Black Lives Matter on the court. They helped. They helped them get opportunities to vote. They're using venues for, so that more people can vote. They're, they're going to prison, going to more prisons to make it easier for prisoners who are legally able to vote. They're allowing them to vote. They're doing a lot. They're doing a lot of positive things. Now, you may not fully agree with how it's conveyed. You may not fully agree with all their opinions. But to me, 
I don't know what anybody expects them to think. The NBA is 80% black. What do you think that these players are going to think about the Black Lives Matters movement? It's remarkable that people interpret it as criticism. But then you see tweets from President Trump and you see tweets from Senator Ted Cruz criticizing the NBA ratings. Now, obviously, the NBA ratings were really down this year. Uh, they got 5.6 million viewers in the finals. And let me get make sure I have this right. For comparison, the NFL, Vikings and Seahawks drew 11.4 million viewers on NBC. And the finals got, like I said, 5.6 million. So that's less than half the total of a regular season football matchup. Okay. So obviously that's an alarming number, but there's a lot to consider. One, the NBA is not supposed to compete with the NFL in the finals. It is not supposed to happen. The NBA finals are supposed to be around summer, which is typically a little after the Stanley Cup finals. It's typically its own thing. It really is only competing with Major League Baseball when it's normally in season. That's a huge reason for a ratings drop. That has nothing to do with politics. That has nothing to do with the teams playing it. They're competing with sports. Football's on. Hockey only just ended. Baseball playoffs are on. This is a tough time for the NBA to be competing with other sports. So you lose a lot of the multi-dimensional sports fans like myself. I try and flip around and watch everything, but some people are going to say, you know what, I'm not really in the final set. Let's watch the football game. Okay? A lot of numbers there of people just doing that. And obviously, yeah, there are political tones to the NBA season this year that are going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. I know many people that feel this way. Neighbors, peers of mine. It's not just old, military-loving white Republicans. It's not just that. People that know cops, people that know firemen, or just average Republicans that just, or, or not even necessarily Republicans. I shouldn't say that. Probably mostly Republicans, but, you know, shouldn't generalize. Uh, people that are upset with politics being in sports. Now, that's something I ranted about in a previous podcast. Obviously, sports have been a platform for social change numerous times. You look at the history. You look at names like Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, Billie Jean King. I mean, give me a break. Obviously, sports can be a platform for social change. But when it happens, it often rubs people the wrong way. That's common. But to say that the NBA is suffering because they're supporting their players' beliefs and trying to make sure the players are comfortable, which is honestly exactly what I believe Commissioner Silver was trying to do, um, that's crazy to me. Especially because the main argument that everybody is saying about the NBA ratings is comparing it to the NFL when the NFL has a black national anthem. That is what they're calling it. They're calling it the Black National Anthem before every game. It took them a while. Colin Kaepernick got a lot of criticism in the beginning of starting this whole thing about displaying protests during the national anthem. But football has been just as political recently as the NBA. It may not be as in your face. They don't have Black Lives Matter written on the field, but they're letting players, you know, wear their own cleats and write their own information there. It's no different than the players writing uh, their own phrases and beliefs about, you know, equality or Black Lives Matter or whatever they wanted to write on their jerseys. I don't see how 
uh, you can honestly say the NBA is suffering because they're letting their players be authentic about their political feelings. And assuming that's the reason is wrong. It's wrong to me. I list out a bunch of reasons. Obviously, big one, pandemic in the bubble. Season was paused and returned later. No fans. Different atmosphere. Of course, these are going to hurt the ratings. Now, you factor in the fact that it's got to compete with all those other sports at this time, and that it's out of season, and, you know, that the matchup was kind of predictable. The Lakers obviously were supposed to win. The Lakers did win. That's going to hurt the ratings. So if you feel that the NBA is getting too political, I, I, I guess I can understand it kind of, you kind of being beat over the head over and over and over about um, many of the political discussions that they're looking to have. I bet, you, you know, maybe it seems a little weird when LeBron is covered in sweat and he just had a triple-double or some great night and the first thing they want to ask him is about Breonna Taylor. You know, I can understand that kind of being different. I can understand that kind of being not easy for people that maybe just want to relax and watch hoops. But the reality is this. These players are people. And the league is 80% black. You know they already think this. And there's nothing wrong with them thinking it. So why does it matter if it's displayed in a different context? It may be an adjustment, but at the end of the day, if you love basketball, it will persevere. And that is what Mark Cuban uh, retweeted in this very interesting article. I highly recommend it. Uh, let me make sure I get the name of it correctly, because I should also say it's not just um, an article. It's it's it, I think it's a blog. It's it's somebody's portrayal of the NBA throughout history, and it's by a man, a gentleman named Dan McQuaid, on a website called Defector.com. I had never heard of the website, and I never heard of that guy, but this is more of a political activism type site. Uh, but this is clearly written by a guy that knows basketball and a guy that understands the history. He goes through all the different moments uh, in which the NBA was perceived as a dying sport. He said 40 years ago in 1979, uh, Larry O'Brien, the commissioner, had to ass uh, assure reporters that pro basketball is not a dying sport. That was back in the 70s. Obviously, shortly after the ABA merger, people were worried about basketball being a little too... Uh, for lack of a better word, street. They a lot of, you know, this was, there was once a time where the NBA didn't even allow dunking. So the NBA is always evolving. The NBA is always changing. Um, then, of course, uh, after Larry Magic retired, people were worried. And then, of course, Michael Jordan kind of took the game to Jedi level. And then after Michael Jordan retired, people were worried. There's, there's always some hullabaloo that the NBA ratings are plummeting. And the other thing that people are not mentioning is I'm pretty sure these are all just TV ratings. You know, they, they don't factor in streaming. They don't factor in how young fans consume the game. And a lot of it is through Twitter, highlights, you know, quick files, quick plays. 
that it may not be the conventional way of watching a game from tip off till the final uh, till the final buzzer, but the NBA is popular. The NBA is consumed, and I assure you that people who love basketball will persevere, and the game will come back better than ever, especially when the fans get to play. Now, I think Commissioner um, I think Commissioner Silver made a mistake. He he said that. Uh, the messages on the court and the jerseys will be gone next season. I don't think there's any coincidence in terms of why he's saying this now. He probably waited for the championship to end so that it would kind of be an under-the-radar thing. Uh, they're clearly doing that because they're worried about the ratings. You know, that's true. But, you know, never mind the fact that it's a pandemic and that it's out of season and that they're competing with other sports who also honor Black Lives Matter's activism. It's To me, it's, it's just a way to blame the players. And don't get me wrong, these players are not, um, these examples of, you know, successful NBA players and most NBA players, they're not struggling. Their lives are different than average citizens. There's just no doubt about it. Um, obviously a lot of them came from places where it wasn't like that. Once you make it and you are establishing the career, you have the opportunity to have a lot of freedom, a lot more freedom than me or anybody, any average person. So I can understand how it's off-putting because these guys are wealthy. That's probably something that rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but their viewpoints are totally in line with what anybody should expect. So if you care about basketball, it shouldn't matter. Just like if you care about football, it shouldn't matter that there is social activism going on. To me, shouldn't matter. Uh, congrats to the Lakers. Congrats to the Heat. I, I, I enjoy the Heat. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Jimmy Butler for his personality because everything that happened to him uh, when he was on Minnesota and the beef he got in with Tom Thibodeau, who is now the head coach of the New York Knicks. So I was a little almost like Knicks homery and saying, I don't know if I want to root for Jimmy Butler. Uh, but man, that guy at times uh, was a mid-range bucket guaranteed. The ability he could create his own shot, the ability they could spread the floor. And to me, the secret sauce that stirred the Lakers' drink was Rajon Rondo. Now, Rondo had a quote at the end of the game. I just love the way he sees the game, the way he talks about the game. Uh, and I, I'm going to play it for you right now. Uh, we've always bleeding each other from day one. Uh, I, I told myself a story a couple years ago. I think it was 2017 when Brian lost to uh, Golden State. I told myself if I was able to get with a guy like LeBron, there's no way there was going to be a team that beat us four times before we beat them four times. And I was just thinking from the mental aspect of, you know, breaking down film, studying, you know, studying guys' tendencies and just understanding being able to dominate mentally on the court. Because the game for me is, is more mental than physical. You know, if I'm able to outsmart my man, um, you know, I, I've considered, I, I've compared it to chess. You know, if I'm able to make two, two steps ahead of, uh, you know, Mike or, or Jimmy, you know, then we're ahead of the game. And if I got a, myself on the court along with a LeBron James, uh, I felt like that it would be impossible for teams to beat us in four-game series. Obviously, shout out to Rondo. And again, congrats to the Lakers and big picture to us Hoopers, us huge basketball fans like myself. Don't worry. It's going to persevere. I, I was proud of the NBA 
if I'm being honest, most of the commercials were about voting and just encouraging people to get out and use their voice. Uh, the, I thought the broadcast and the bubble experience was entertaining. I thought the I thought they did it the best. They had no negative. They had no positive COVID tests. They they just you know, and that was after they got a lot of criticism for choosing to do it in Florida, which was you know obviously a state with a lot of viruses, with a lot of positive cases of the virus. Excuse me. So uh, I'm gonna miss the NBA. Uh, congrats to the Lakers and yeah, LeBron. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. Even though there are a lot of facets that people are annoyed by, and if he's if he's annoyed by that, then he's being a baby. But truth is, he's one of the best to ever do it. And you can't argue any other way. Uh, speaking of being a baby, I kind of had a real tough time with the Giants Cowboys game uh, on Sunday. Now, obviously, the Giants lost this one literally as the clock hit zero. When uh, Greg Zerloin or Zerlin or however the hell you say that guy's name, I'm pretty sure it's Zerloin, the kicker of the Dallas Cowboys, drilled one uh, after Andy Dalton drove down the field to win the game with the score tied. Now, this was a roller coaster of a game. The Giants, of course, started up 17 to three with the pick six of Dak Prescott, uh, and and I started to think, wow, we're winning. The score is winning. We hadn't felt this in a while, Giants fans. It's been a few weeks. Started to feel confident. I got some texts, some family texts, feeling positive. And I almost wanted to all of them to just shut the hell up. You know, as much as I love everybody's positivity about the Giants, that was bad. That was bad because we know it's a four-quarter game and we haven't won a game. 17-3 means nothing. Especially when Andrew Thomas misses a block and Lawrence comes in there flying like a bat out of hell. And he punches the ball right out of Daniel Jones's hands. And it's a perfect bounce, scoop, and score for the Cowboys. Bam, 17-17, just like that. Now then, of course, we're losing. And the good news is the Cowboys' defense is really bad. And our offense, which had been struggling, was able to put up points. It, it's so disheartening, though, to lose that game. Especially because two touchdowns were taken off the board. There was the fake field goal to Evan Ingram, who Tony Romo, cowboy, admitted was tick, tick for tack, terrible, stupid, unnecessary call. Are you serious that the left tackle on the other side of the field on a fake field goal when the Cowboys had no idea Evan Ingram was even on the field? They didn't even see him. He pretended to come off and he stayed and they were all like, oh, this is golden bucket. We caught the Cowboys being stupid. It was the best moment of my life. And of course, taken off the board because Fleming's hands weren't on his hips and he wasn't low enough on the other side of the field? Give me a break. Calling that an illegal shift is pathetic. Even if it is, I know it technically by definition is, that is not something that's good for the sport. Because some fat guy, no offense Fleming, but because some fat guy didn't get his butt low enough we get a touchdown off the board. That was a call of the year. That was all judge, the special, the former special teams guy. That was his design. Really pissed me off that that got taken off the board. Then Daniel Jones and Slayton, they're connecting the back. Slayton really hadn't connected with Jones since week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, and all of a sudden, Slayton is, is putting up numbers. He's getting open. They're in rhythm. And... What happens on a bomb for an obvious touchdown to him? 
they call it back. Some stupid holding penalty. For no reason. Again, not not necessary. Or what? what, what I don't even know what. It, you know what I don't even remember what it was. Could have been hands to the face. Could have been holding. It could have been anything. Just spin the wheel. The guy. It had nothing to do with the play. I'll tell you that. When a guy is that open, and a ball is delivered that perfectly, there's nothing to really worry about. Um. At all. In that capacity. Now, for some stupid reason, I'm on Google and I can't even read the box score. So now I'm going to NFL.com because I want to make sure I get this right for everybody. I want to make sure I get my Slayton stats correct. Darius Slayton had eight catches for 129 yards in this game. But C.D. Lamb, eight catches for 124 yards. Freeman, 60 yards and a touchdown on 17 carries. And Jones, 20 for 33 for 222 yards. Obviously... I, I want to say one thing. I want to make sure I get this out there. That Dak Prescott, I want to wish him well. That was a really gruesome injury. And Dak is one of those guys where it's up, it's upsetting that he's not on your team because he's such a good guy. And every time people doubt him, every time people say he's not capable, he, he's really a grinder, really finds a way to show his worth. I think there are a lot of problems with the Cowboys, and I think he is far from one of them. Uh, and you hate to see guys get injured like that. So want to give my best regards to Dak Prescott. But that's an infuriating law loss in Giantsville simply because you cannot, you cannot take those moments for granted where you're moving the ball at will. You had a pick six in the game. Andy Dalton gave you a gift when he botched a snap and literally hit it to Blake Martinez. Got to capitalize. Got to do more. Even Andy Dalton, even besides the horrible turnover, he was still 9 for 11. I mean, I'm sorry. you got to do better than that. Maybe they were more prepared for Dak than they were Andy Dalton, which is a crazy thing to say. But to me, that's one that got away. Now, a lot of people are saying, who appears? Own fire, tankathon, Trevor Lawrence. Listen, if we in some universe end up with the number one pick, I'll be the, fir I'll be the first one to tell you that they absolutely should go after Trevor Lawrence. And that's no disrespect to Daniel Jones. That's no disrespect to anybody. That's that's just the opportunity of getting a generational talent. But right now, Jones is our quarterback. And right now, there's nobody behind him that I want to see in. So I want to see Jones do better. And I want to see this offense do better. Our defense matches up well against Washington. Could be perhaps 17-14, 24-21 type deal. Lower scoring, I believe, will happen. The Washington football team has a ton of quarterback problems right now. Uh, but just a brutal loss for the Giants. Uh, Judge finally got to a point where he had to admit that, obviously, yeah, we're 0-5. This sucks. I don't want to feel like we're not trying to get wins. But at this point, you got to start to see progress. Now, that's a tough thing to hear from a coach. But here's how he said it. Joe, um, obviously your record's not what you wanted it to be. I'm wondering, though, have you seen progress uh, that's acceptable to you at all so far this season, or does that not matter when you're 0-5? Well, that's all that really matters to us, to be honest with you, is the progress we're making right now, okay? The, the record will come, all right, in time. Obviously, we're not happy about losses. That's not what we do here. But I've seen a lot of progress on all fronts and all units. We have to keep making consistent progress. To keep being a better team as the year goes. 
And obviously, Judge, uh, I wanted to be my football coach next year. Giants could go 0-16, and I want Judge. I love the way he carries himself. love the way he talks about his players. I think he's prepared. I think he understands the game well. I think he's letting Garrett do his job. And at times, he's not doing a good job. So I, I have no criticism of Judge really whatsoever. I think he's doing the best with what he's been given. Gettleman's fingerprints are all over these issues. We've talked about it time and time again. He's made a lot of risky moves. When you're not winning, it's not going to be good. And when you're an old guy with an old school vibe in a game that is getting younger, in a game that is becoming more about stats and understanding, I mean, they, they, I, it blows me away how stupid some of these GMs are. A good example, DK Metcalf. Easily one of the best receivers in the game right now. And easily had the best NFL combine in history. The fastest, strongest dude in the history of the NFL Combine wasn't drafted in the first round. This is how stupid some of these GMs really are. Lamar Jackson was not drafted in the first round. Stupid. So, or perhaps he was the last first round pick. He went, he, any team could have Lamar Jackson. I'm fairly certain of this. Now, he might have been 32nd overall, something stupid like that. But he, he should have been gone way early. Way early. So... Point remains, the NFL is changing. There's a lot of clueless organizations out there. Like, I'm, I actually still think we're a better 0-5 team than the friggin' Jets. So they are lost. I mean, that is just clearly time to fire Adam Gase. I don't know why they don't see that. But the Giants, man, that was a tough loss. And I, like I said, I don't go into games expecting wins anymore. But I knew against this Cowboys defense, and I knew it was a division game, that it could be close. And look, close down to the last minute. And Daniel Jones... When you have the ball in your hands and one timeout and all you need is a field goal, and I think you're looking at two minutes on the clock and you don't even get a first down, you need to be criticized for that. Doesn't mean uh, there's all these Giants truthers out there, Jones truthers who are like, hey, Jones is good. He's not the problem. He's extending plays. He's got no receivers. Yeah, I mean, all that might be true. But in a game when you are able to put up that many points and in the biggest moment of that game, you don't even get a first down. And you got and, and and you you don't you don't get points. They ended up punting the ball, and of course there was that horrible no holding call on Tomlinson where he was clearly being held, and then Dalton got the first down, and that's that's it. They go down the field. So pissed away a win. I'm pissed off. Uh, but I really appreciate all you guys tuning into this random frantic solo monolith monologue. Of the sideliners, uh, I want to get more friends on here. Obviously, uh, a lot more football to come. Baseball's winding down. The Yankees are <clears throat> gone. So, sorry, Yankee fans, but not that upset. Steve Cohen's the new owner of the Mets. A lot's happening. The Islanders uh, are making their offseason moves. Lou Lamborello is getting back to work. They already traded Devin Taves. Can't believe it. But they got two second rounders, and they have faith in some upcoming defensive players. So, We'll talk more about that. We'll talk about that. The Sideliners pod will continue. And hopefully I'll have some friends on the next uh, episode. But thanks for listening, as always, to the Sideliners pod. The Sideliners are brought to you by Anchor.fm Podcasting. If you're interested in podcasting or you just want to get something out there and you have creative limitations or you're worried about money or anything like that, fear not. Because Anchor allows you, or anybody, 
with the simplest of computers, the simplest of recording tactics to get your podcasts on the air. And guess what? You even had a chance at making a little money. So please utilize Anchor and thanks for listening.